0: There it is—a win for the ages.
1: Georgia,
2: Georgia, the whole
1: day through, just an old sweet song.
2: Welcome to our master's special here on MarketSide Chats. On this episode, we'll be discussing all things Augusta, including player odds, course conditions, and our top picks. My name is Cord Callahan, and today in the studio, I'm joined by Jack Boyd and Tom Kenny. Via phone connection, we'll also be chatting with our sports statistician, Connor Nolan, and former long drive competitor, Kevin Hennessy, who we're so happy to have with us. Here's Kevin giving a little background on himself.
3: I uh, come from a pretty scattered background as far as uh, my route. I I started my life in the baseball world, played through college, uh, jumped into golf immediately and and hopped on the long drive tour for a couple of years. Uh, And then I went back to the baseball world and started coaching. And now I'm in the insurance game, completely uh, turned it around and went the other direction. Uh, so, so my sports background, you know, led to meeting all, all, a, a good amount of people and, and following a lot of sports and just kind of a, an avid sports fan. So I'm, I'm no expert by any means when it comes to, you know, sports analyzing and, and, uh, all this stuff. Um, but, uh, I, I have, you know, been involved in, you know, fantasy sports and draft kings for, for, I'd say seven years now, I kind of picked it up and and started doing it avidly. Yeah. So I, I, I get a lot of different approaches. I understand, you know, that there is no guru out there either. Otherwise there'd be a multimillionaire sitting somewhere and be paying, uh, charging millions of dollars for his advice, Yeah, which I think is part of why, you know, if, if we take the right approach, we can, we can find some success.
4: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that.
3: Yeah, and so you know, when it comes to you know making your picks, obviously there's so many different variables that everyone weighs in. So I think if you know ultimately everything that I've done in the past has led to, um, what am I going to be happy with picking? You know, so if I'm comfortable with my pick and they lose for some reason that was unforeseen, I'd never get upset, and and that's kind of where all my my sports kind of guided me to just cause you know, you no, know, there's no one answer. So <clears throat> anyways, um, jumping into kind of this, this route, I, you know, sitting around the golf course with Jack and we were just kind of looking around and came up with the thought of, yeah, what if we mess with this and take a kind of a cheap approach at starting something. And if it can yeah. explode, then hell yeah. And if not, we had fun doing it, you yeah, know, Exactly. So uh, that's that's kind of a brief on
2: me. Yeah. Yeah. What's the farthest you've ever hit the ball?
3: Uh, four hundred and nineteen yards. Wow,
2: that's crazy. You know, Kevin, I find it very interesting that you started in baseball and then moved into long drive. I know Jay Lowski, the former Remax uh, Long Drive champion, kind of had a similar journey, um, but he started in junior hockey.
4: It's it's cool because nowadays in sport in all sports, honestly, you the more prized athletes are those two sport athletes, you know, not somebody who grew up playing one sport. They just did that sport. They were superstars at that sport, but, you know, you have other, you're more diverse than that. You know, I think that works very well with like different muscle groups, different mm-hmm. techniques You approach everything differently. And I mean, I could see how baseball and long drive just with the shoulder strength, all that kind of stuff could really um, kind of, be um kind of implemented together
3: yeah no that was there was definitely a, a lot of uh, uh value that came from baseball and you know i thought about it pretty often and you know just just how many how many baseballs i hit in batting cages over and over again for practice allowed me to to have some longevity throughout like tournaments and long drive when i'd be on my eighth round of hitting and i'm not even a little tired you know where some guys you could tell are kind of fatigued so. yeah yeah, it is it is it definitely uh there's a lot of translation amongst uh, between sports
2: yeah and i'm sure we'll have some more of those conversations during the podcast about bryson as well
3: yeah yeah for sure he's uh he's a specimen he's fun to dissect an analytic guru all
1: right guys so let's go through our picks
0: oh yeah i'd love to you know, DeChambeau is he seems like a rare breed of golfer, okay? Now, again, judging from his past performance, you know, are we going to really see a noticeable change this year? And obviously everyone thinks, you know, this could be his year. Uh, and, you know, it could very well be, you know. But I really like Tiger Woods. I always will stand by Tiger Woods no matter what. And... um But if I had to pick another legit pick, uh, it'd probably be Kapka. I've noticed Kapka for the past couple tournaments, and he's always stood out to
4: me. Yeah, I like that. I like that pick a lot. Uh, You know, looking at, so the big thing that I've kind of looked at, um, you know, just doing a lot of research today and in the past week, just, you know, in golf in general is, you know, there's, there's five attributes in golf that I think that you can measure. Almost, and you know whether that strokes gain. It's usually strokes gained in these situations, but it's driving distance, driving accuracy, your approach around the green, and your putting. And um, a couple websites that I found, it shows just how the least valuable one out of those is driving accuracy, which is kind of surprising. But you know, the Masters is known for one of their most. They have the most difficult greens. In the world, like, those, right. um, so usually you want to see, um, obviously, better putting. And the problem that I see with, like, DeChambeau and uh, DJ, you know, it's not all about driving distance. You can't win this being um, very one-dimensional in that kind of approach. Because, you know, to be honest, uh, De- DeChambeau especially, you know, he's mediocre when it comes to 160 yards and closer in his pass. Um, you know, but you know, so looking for a more well rounded, um, play like well rounded golfer like John, like Rom, I think is, I mean, I like his odds right now at 10 to 1. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas at 12 to 1, too. Kupak, uh, Kupakta is, you know, he's tough with him, so he's improved every year that he's been at the Masters, coming in second place last year, 11th place the year before. 22nd, and then 33rd in his first year. Mm -hmm. So the only problem with him I have is obviously his injuries, but he looked very good at the Houston open last month. So that kind of, that does give me a lot of confidence for Brooks in that sense.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, these guys are going to be trying to take the ball far. I know Bryson just put a new driver in his bag that he's hoping to stretch out a little bit. You know, speaking of guys that can hit the ball far, how about Rory McIlroy, I feel like everyone's forgetting about him. He was the world number one going into the pandemic. Hasn't played his best golf since, but you never know when he's going to pick it back up again. Um, in terms of value picks, I'm looking at younger guys. Um, Matthew Wolf coming out of Oklahoma State, love his swing. He performed well at the U.S. Open, and then Colin Morikawa as well. You know, he already has a major win under his belt at the PGA. And coming into his first Masters already with that win could definitely go a long way. I think it'll be a good mix of youth and experience.
4: Yeah, especially so he's got that. He's got that big time. You know, he's been on that big stage. Yeah. So he, it's not like he's inexperienced in that sense. An interesting thing uh, that I've read because um, I heard I heard that they changed the course or they made some adjustments to the course. So I was curious as to what those adjustments were. And the big thing that I've read is they've actually added a lot of um, patches of trees. Like, uh, I think the most, the one that I read that interested me was, yeah, clusters of trees have been added, including beyond the fairway bunkers on 18. So what that's pretty much doing is, is that's actually hurting Shambo and DJ because it's preventing them for, to just drive over those bunkers and just going very aggressively. So that's something that I found out today, more or less. You know, um, there's also, it looks like they added another cluster of trees on on the par 5.13. So it's very, I'll be interested to see how DeChambeau approaches those holes specifically. Um, you know, maybe it makes a big difference. Maybe it doesn't, maybe I'm overlooking it, but it's definitely something to look at.
1: Kev, what do you think about that?
4: Yeah. So my thoughts on DeChambeau are are what you guys are saying,
3: obviously he's going to try to take an approach that we've never seen. He's going to try to overpower everything and he's going to take angles that we've never seen. Um, and, and I think it can go one of two ways. I think he can kick the, the crap out of the course and, and really run away with this. Or I think he can maybe outplay himself and, and try to do too much and it ends up backfiring. Uh, so I, I, it, I think he's a questionable pick for that reason if you have other options. Um, of course we could see Deshambeau running away and taking the Masters. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if I'm going to focus on maybe someone who's going to play it, not, not more traditionally, but at least more realistically, I would, I would stick to a, a John Rom. Uh, Rahm is, is as hot as they get right now, and, and he's hungry. He's still young. He's still hungry. He wants to win. And, and I would not be surprised if Rahm finished top two, top three. Um, you know, I, I could definitely see him running away with it. Uh, other than that, obviously, DJ, i put kind of in those – put those three at the top, DJ, Rahm. And, of course, they're, so the, the high-value picks, and, and Vegas has them at the top. Uh, but they're there for that reason. They're they're all three hot players right now. They're all playing great, and at the end of the day, you know that's that's what's going to win at, at Augusta.
2: Yeah, there's twice as many picks right now for DeChambeau on DraftKings opposed to anyone else. So um, I think it's definitely going to be the call to kind of find some other guys to ride this out.
3: Right. So, and and you know when it comes to DraftKings, if if you know you want to pick a specific focus, um, you know, I, I like focusing on the 50-50 lineups, uh, especially the single-entry ones, because then, you know, then you can't have a, a you know, I don't I don't want to name place for anyone, but you can't have those companies putting in 50, 100, 150 lineups, and now you, you're you planning, in, you know, 150 lottery tickets against yours. Mm. Um, you know, so that's why I like focusing on the single-entry ones um but you know when it comes to 5050s i think making the cut is really what you're looking for in six guys right
5: right
4: yeah
3: and so you know i i uh, i put together a couple of thoughts on that if if we want to talk about 5050 lineup. Yeah, i'd love to awesome so um you know obviously the top 3 guys or the top 5 guys you got to have one or two of them in your lineup right um and and you know, for me, like I said, I, I picked John Rahm over Bryson. Um because I think I think you know, Rahm I think no matter what Rom's gonna be in the top, but I could see Beijingbo either winning or falling out. Uh so so I went with Rom and then at that point it comes down to who you're gonna pick that's gonna you know be a, a lower value or lower cost but a, a good value and, and my next pick is Ian Poulter. Hmm. Okay. Uh Ian Poulter's got he's he's the fourth highest cut maker at the Masters. He's made thirteen out of fourteen cuts. Um and he's still playing well. So that's uh that's who I would recommend if anyone wants a a mid range. I think he's about seven thousand dollars on DraftKings and I don't know what he is on FanDuel. Um, but uh yeah, if anyone wants a value pick, I think Ian Poulter's a great value pick.
4: You think even even with uh him struggling in the US Open too, you think he's still um got that value? I, I mean, do. He, realistically, he has not had a great 2021
2: season. He's 49th in the world right now.
3: Right No, so
4: and and I agree. I I
3: think that a lot of times it, it it's good to to pick up information based on how they've been playing because I think that's, and that's actually on my list of, of important variables. Who's hot? You know, you, can't ever, you can't ever put gas next to who's hot. If someone's playing good, they're just playing good. Their swing feels good. You know, something clicked and they're they're using that. Um, but I do think Augusta is a, a rare middle ground that you don't always have to be as hot. It's just the confidence of being there and the comfort of being there and knowing, you know. And, and so I'm hoping... But that's the Poulter's feel, that he's going to wash off the U.S. Open and show up to Augusta a new man.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And do you, think, do you think talking in that sense, well, I mean, Tiger's not not a low-value pick because, I mean, yeah. what, Tiger's made 18 straight cuts in the Masters, I think. Right. So, I mean, but he's not a low-value pick, so I shouldn't have even brought him up.
3: <laughs> no, but uh, so you're asking the same idea about Tiger?
4: Yeah, yeah, kind of, because, I mean, obviously, he's, you know, we've seen him decline after um, doing very, after kind of rising back up almost. You've seen him really decline since he won the Masters last year and everything. But, you know, once again, he has not missed the cut since 1996. Like, yeah, I mean. No, and-
5: I, I agree.
3: I agree. I think <laughs> I I was uh, interested to hear what everyone else had to say, but my, my take on Tiger is, of course, none of us would be surprised if he won again, right? I mean, I really wouldn't, just because it's Tiger and it's Augusta. And, um, but I personally am steering clear from him this year on DraftKings. I just think, you know, he, he I, I could see him doing better in five months at Bad Masters than than this one.
2: It's a good point. Yeah, we forget he's still the reigning champ.
3: Yeah, it's harder. To, to count him out. Um and maybe for his pick he might be worth it. And and again I could see him going in a lot of lineups. I just I think he's at least for maybe a fifty fifty lineup, I think he's a risk.
5: Um, mm.
3: you know, maybe maybe in a tournament lineup where you're trying to turn three dollars into a hundred thousand or twenty into a million. Sure. Maybe throw Tiger in a few lineups. But uh yeah for a fifty fifty pick I don't think he's worth his his value um for the, the price he's at.
4: Hmm.
2: Speaking of variables that can come into play in terms of the course itself, you know we're coming off of uh, Wingfoot where the roughs were very long. Um, we're now seven months late to this Masters, so the course is a lot softer than we would have seen in the spring. Um, it's getting faster, it's getting firmer. But um, Kevin, how do you see that coming into play in terms of play styles of these uh, golfers?
5: Yeah, so.
3: Softer conditions, wetter conditions, it's supposed to rain like crazy on day one, right? So mm-hmm. who even knows if they'll have a full day one. Yeah. Um, um, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is, is the ball rolling. It's not going to roll in the fairway. probably going to get a couple of plugs. So, you know, distance in the air is, is a, an important piece to remember. So at least on day one while it's wet, you know, again, chambeau kind of, If if he can be accurate with that distance, he's going to be very dangerous. Um, And then when it comes to putting, it's hard to say. I mean, the greens, like you said, they're one of the, some of the toughest greens out there Uh, and they're typically the fastest, but, you know, being wetter and softer, going to change the putting, going to make, you know, you would think it would make it maybe easier for those, those um, distance guys who don't have great putting, um, which actually I think Day Shambo kind of fits that narrative again. Yeah. Uh, I hate going I hate back to him, but it seems like the variables are are in his favor and, and his hard work and, and everything he's done in the last six months might, might end up paying off for him. Um, but, yeah, I think distance off the tee and um, actually, I mean, really distance off the tee or strokes gained off the tee, I think are going to be very important to, to keep an eye on because of wet conditions.
4: I mean, it's funny, it's funny, because, like, DeChambeau, it's so so interesting seeing, because, like, how his success and everything, because, you know, he's obviously been very vocal about how he approaches everything from an analytical standpoint and stuff, and you're seeing, and I think it's going to be a really, it's really cool, so I think he's a perfect, like, almost like guinea pig. It's like, all right, let's see how far analytics can take you in golf. Can it take you to the, promised land or is there eventually going to be a wall that they hit where you know you need to almost take away you need to almost look away from analytics in a situation kind of like what we saw in game in the in game six of the world series uh, i'm not sure if you guys are you guys obviously followed all that stuff pulling um pulling the picture and when analytics told them to and that backfired so you know it's it'll be interesting
3: yeah, I agree. I think, I think that that's, like I said, there is no one guru out there. Otherwise analytics would reign and, and, uh, sports would be different, but there's always, the uh, the Cinderella stories and, the, the, the crazy decisions like pulling the pitcher that, you know, who knows if, uh, if pulling him was the right call. Obviously losing maybe means it was the wrong call, but, um, yeah, I, I like I said, so, you know, when putting all the variables together, at the end of the day, when I'm making a lineup, I, I cover all the variables, you know, the, the the odds of making the cut, the conditions, the strokes gained, and then that last piece, who's hot? Is, mm. is someone on the list not hot? And your comments about Ian Poulter definitely struck a chord with me, and makes me think, you know, is there someone in his same price range that's comparable, but maybe hotter? Hmm. Yeah. So. um at, at the end of the day, you know, realistically, uh, you know, I, I, I've, got a, I've got a lineup here that I'd be happy to share with everyone if, if you guys want to dissect it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's my DraftKings lineup, and it is a 50-50 single-entry lineup. So it's based on, you know, my goal of, of two, two goals. Uh, do I have someone that can win the whole thing? And then do I have six guys that I think can make the cut? So right away, I stacked it high with John Rom and Dustin Johnson. I was able to sneak them both in and still have value players. Uh, John Rom, because of John Rom and the reasons we talked about, and same with DJ. Uh, my next pick is Tony Finau. I snuck Tony Finau in there. I think he's a, a consistent player, and as long as he doesn't. Uh, yeah, as long as he doesn't run around the part three challenge and break his ankle like he did <laughs> last year or whatever, I think he'll be fine. Um, my next pick is Ian Poulter. I, I did throw him in there. I think his cut made and his experience there hopefully outweighs his uh, lack of of skill per se for the last year. I guess lack of skill is the wrong term. I guess just momentum and and uh, you know things going his way. Um, and then my last two picks are Sebastian Munoz, who I think is just having a great season. And I think he's a cut maker and Jason Kokrek. So I was able to fit those six guys in a lineup and cover the cost of, of the, the salary cap that you get. And I think, uh, I think that's a pretty good, good value pick for, uh, a, a 50-50 win. And, uh, my only advice on, on a four day fifty fifty is, don't waste your time on a $5 four day. If you're going to sweat for four days over five bucks. <laughs> <then> <laughs> yeah. You totally got, true. you got other problems in your life going on.
1: <laughs> so Connor, what's your analytical opinion of that?
4: Um, You know, obviously with Rahm and DJ, you out, know, you know, I, I like those guys. Um, You know, DJ obviously has, it's almost like DeChambeau, but with just a little bit more experience, you know, with his ability to drive, and all of that stuff. And I personally think he is a little bit better than DeChambeau, especially, um, you know, with his approach and his putting. Um, by, any, by no means is he like an elite putter, or top putter or anything like that on the green. But, um, you know, Finau is an interesting one. I feel like there's a lot of golfers in the middle. I feel like out of all years past, there's a lot of big names in this. In this this year i mean obviously there's big names every year but i just feel like there's there's just more than there more than normal so choosing female out of those like cluster of middle class names i think is very interesting um i personally don't have any um anything to say more than that just because i don't i don't know too much about how female season has been going or anything like that
3: it's been a pretty quiet season, but he's still, he's still showing up and he's still putting up numbers. Um, Mm
5: -hmm.
3: You know, he, he hasn't, he hasn't tanked at all. Um, And then additionally, yeah, he is. And then additionally, he's got, um, I think he's top 10. Is it the last two years at Augusta? I got that somewhere. Yeah. So I think um, as far as, uh, I don't know where that note is, but yeah, he's he's I think a good pick. I think he likes playing there. Mm. Um yeah, and he's gone he's gone top ten the last two years. Um sure. and sure. his only two appearances, correct? Um I you know what again, don't have that in front of me. But he's he's obviously an up and comer and he's and he's still looking for you know, a couple of big wins in his career. Without mm. a doubt. And I I can see him definitely doing well at Augusta. Um, you know, the the one intangible, the one the one uh uh variable that we're not gonna be able to know till afterwards is how do these guys play without the roaring crowds of Augusta. Yeah, they keep talking about like Bubba. They think Bubba's a uh a mental case when it comes to crowds and they think that not having to sweat over too many puffs is gonna make him play better. Mm. Um and, and that's a variable that's hard to take in, it's hard to you know, some guys like Patrick Reed loves hearing a boo in the background. Um, so it's hard, it's hard to play that variable out. Mm -hmm.
1: I think if Bubba Watson's playing well, he'd be playing the course aggressively. Well, um, as well, which should make things a little bit interesting.
3: No, supposedly he's in his best form right now. That's what I heard. I heard he's in his best form and, and, uh, you know, if, if Bubba's in his best form, obviously he, he performs at Augusta. Um, yeah, the yeah, four sets up for his shaping shot.
4: Especially with the conditions and stuff on day one, you know, he can he. One of his strongest strengths is his ability to drive the ball, so you know that could really come into play for him. I think.
3: Yeah, yeah, he did gain some momentum early.
1: So an interesting statistic on Tony Finau, he actually has seven top ten finishes that in the tournaments he partook in the past two years.
3: Yeah, I, I think I think is a good value pick just for what he costs. He's, he's kind of middle high, you know. I'd put him in like the tier two of picks in in like a DraftKings, and and I I almost always love picking C now. I think I think he he needs to figure out how to play on day four. That's his problem always. Is what can I do on day four? He for some reason, you know, maybe he presses too much. Maybe he, he thinks about that trophy too much and thinks about how he doesn't have too many. uh uh, wins actually does he have a pga tour win i'm not sure yeah so i i think he knows he should and and i think every tournament that goes by it makes it a little harder for him
4: tracks under pressure
3: yeah yeah
4: but but then again n- no crowd maybe that helps him exactly you know? yeah
3: maybe maybe the different feel might change it up and 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 that's that's part of what i worry about i i can see the tough Five players being a couple of you know c players that that we had no idea were were going to play better under different circumstances,
2: yeah, and there's certainly a lot of circumstances in twenty twenty right now, a few players just tested positive, I know
3: yeah, Sergio out, and uh so is uh joim Neiman. yeah and and trevor Trevor Amelman if anyone wants to
2: yes I, <laughs> he, I did see. he's that. a lower
3: lower list player, yeah, Sergio being out, I think is pretty big uh. And I think Sergio is a pressure player, too, or a a, a nerve player, too. So if he was in, I think he would actually play well without the crowd. But uh, we'll just have to wait the five months to see him at (laughs) at the next Masters.
1: So this is a long shot, but anyone have any thoughts on Francesco Molinari?
4: I have him, like, uh, I think because I was looking at a couple prop sets and stuff. And, um, like, I think Rom is obviously favored to be the European winner. And I think Molinari is second, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. But Molinari, that's an interesting one.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at Francesco Molinari's Masters history, he's been a you know steadily improving contender, um, never going back in a, a, a cut or place number. Uh, in his appearances of the Masters, um, leading him up to 2019, where he was tied for fifth.
4: Mm. So he's definitely he's definitely got that experience.
1: So he's played for a while, but I'm trying to think of the conditions that he played well, for in sure. his most recent championship, the the British Open, where you know it, it is overseas, so you do kind of get that rainy feel, something yeah, similar that we might see at Augusta
3: at the at the British Open, yeah. They were, they were, I think they were pretty decent. I, I don't think, um, they've been miserable the past few years, actually. I mean, they've been windy and typical of an open, but, um, you know, guys like Molinari and Shane Lowry winning last year, um, I don't think they had to go crazy with their shape, uh, the shaping of shots. Um, and my only issue with Molinari is he, he got, I mean, he got crazy quiet right before COVID and, and hasn't done anything since. And I haven't even seen him play in a lot of events, you know, so I'm, I'm I don't know enough about why that is. I don't know if he decided just to lay low or if, if he wasn't, you know, um, in the events, you know, uh, with, with a card or what, I don't know what it was, but uh, I, as much as I, I like him and I think he could be, Kind of a quiet sleeper. I I steer clear from him, uh, just because I can't see him winning the whole thing.
2: Okay, so we're steering clear from Molinari. Is there anyone else that we might be forgetting, guys?
4: I personally think um, an interesting one is, and you know, we talked about momentum, obviously. So he goes against that. But uh, Ricky Fowler, mm. you know, he's had he had uh, he finished ninth last year, second the year before. Um, you know, he hasn't had a great year, but his, um, his short game is impressive. And I think, you know, we obviously talked about the greens being difficult, you know, day one's going to be not the best weather, but I still think he could be somebody who could surprise us during this.
5: I
3: agree completely. I think Ricky, you know, it's only a matter of time before he wins a freaking major. Um, and, and. Yeah, if he's gotten close to any of them, it's Augusta on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been quiet, man, for a while since, you know, since, since he won PPC at the Waste Management.
4: Uh, I remember when he won TPC Boston. I was there for that. When was that? That was That was going into my senior year of high school, so 2015, I think.
5: Okay. Yeah, I mean,
3: after that... I, I I don't know how many wins he's had since, not too many, other than the waste management, which was was that two years ago now or was that last year? Yeah. I think that was that might have been last year and and he dealt with I the conditions. That. But but the one thing that you can almost take to the bank with him is the courses that he does well at annually, he almost does it every year annually. You know. Yeah. So T P C Scott's Dale the Waste Management. He almost is always in the hunt. You get kids. Kinda of say the same about Augusta with his top 10 finishes the last two years
5: yeah so I, I like him
3: as a sleeper pick uh not not just to get top 20 I I think you know if he put on the jacket I wouldn't be surprised
4: yeah I mean he's had top 10 finishes in 33 percent of his and a third of his uh appearances at, the, at Augusta you know um he's had 55 percent in top 13 like he's definitely consistent he's always made uh I think he's only missed the cut once and that was in 2016. Um, and I, I just can see him once again, his consistency at the same course. Definitely. I think is going to be big for him.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. uh, Kevin, do you have any sleeper picks?
3: Yeah. So, you know, I, again, I, I've sleeper picks in two ways. One way I think a sleeper pick could be someone just as, you know, the cheapest person that'll make a cut, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's, there's value right there. Yep. You can find someone that, that costs you nothing in your lineup and and they'll make the cut for you. Then job well done. Yeah. Um,
5: a lot of people don't consider
3: that. It. No, and that's important. I mean, especially, yeah, I mean, you, you got it, you know, cause realistically, if you're looking at a lineup of six guys, you've got to have someone that has got a good chance of winning the whole damn thing. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have, you know, the odds guys that are in it, you gotta have Rom, DJ, Justin Thomas, Bryson, Rory. I mean, you gotta have one of those guys. You're, you're wasting your time if you don't. Yep. Um, but, but you need these quiet guys that make a cut. And, and the reason why that's important, if, if, if you're, if you don't know is if, if you made the cut and on day three you get a par, that's one more point than someone who didn't make the cut on day three. So. Yeah. Pretty simple. If you're still playing, you're you're going to uh, you know provide more value. Uh, so when it comes to that kind of pick, uh, a quiet sleeper who I think could make a cut, I think Siwoo Kim might be on that list.
1: Yeah, I was thinking he's, him he's 6, as well. Eight hundred. Yeah.
3: Yeah, he's he's sixty eight hundred on DraftKings. He is having a pretty bad season, to be honest, but. He's done. He's top twenty-five at Augusta two years in a row, you know, and, and you can't ever get rid of that experience and that confidence you get from playing there in the past. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to pick someone relatively cheap who you think has a good chance of making a cut, I think Si Woo's a good sleeper. Mm-hmm. When it comes to sleepers, who I think could win the whole event. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple, but really, I think Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. I think Scotty yeah. who's who was fourth place at the PGA and fifth place on the tour championship, he's only 24, so experience is not in his bag for Augusta, but, you know, 24 year old rookie taking fourth place in the PGA.
4: Yeah. That's something.
0: It's very impressive. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Now, do you think, you know, obviously with those sleeper picks and that last guy went against it, but do you think, um, you know, that experience is the most important. Like if we were to look for sleeper picks specifically and you look at the variables, do you think experience would probably be the most important or do you think, or do you think uh, there's more of a regression with age and that skill really drops off where you can't rely on that experience? So
3: I actually, for sleeper picks, first look at who's hot, actually. Going back to that yeah because I think you know the same thing applies if you're playing well and something clicked, maybe you and your coach came up with some something you have to remember every swing and it's easy and it's repeatable, then that'll always you know help you out it'll it'll eliminate bad crazy shots that lead to doubles and triples um after the who's hot then I take an experience. I kind of try to put those two together, uh especially at augusta because they do say that augusta you know. I think out of the last 10 winners, six or seven of them had played in the event for for many years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and so I I think those two go hand in hand. I think experience, like you said, I think, yeah, I don't know at what age does it start to decline. Obviously, Tiger is a terrible person to
4: to use as an example. Well, you're you're always going to have your (laughs) outliers.
1: Exactly. Connor, do you think you'd be, do you think you'd be able to create something where you have like two variables and kind of standardize it for the same thing in terms of experience and like, and then laying that over like, uh, like some sort of momentum indicator of how well they're playing relative to like maybe golf.
4: Absolutely. That's on my list. I have that already written down. I've been writing down ideas.
1: And then would it, would it be like a ratio? So like 80% or like something like that? Yeah. Do you think that would be interesting to look at, Kevin?
3: Oh yeah, without a doubt. I'd be interested to see how you would how you'd lay it out in front of us and, and what, what uh what variables you would use to decide who's hot.
1: What what <laughs> variables would you use?
4: I mean,
3: obviously places in the last couple of tournaments. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that's a pretty good one, especially if, if they've been in a lot of tournaments lately because if your golf game is doing well lately, that means it's translating over different course conditions. You know, different grass, different conditions, temperature-wise, weather-wise, humidity. Yeah. You know, that's why, like, uh, and actually, a name that we haven't mentioned, who I think is playing amazing across the board, is Tyrrell Hatton. Yeah. Tiro Hatton, kicking butt over on the Euro Tour, flies over and almost wins the uh, the event in uh, or in Vegas. Um. I mean, how how do you do that? How does your golf game translate from Europe to to here in, in three days? Yeah. So I think that that's a, a value you know that proves that if you're hot and your swing's working, doesn't matter where or what conditions, it's just working.
4: I think uh, a variable that might not make sense at first, but if I but kind of something we looked at in horse racing, but I think even has more value in this is um, like winning. So, which at first you're kind of like, what difference does that make? But I think, you know, obviously the bigger the tournament, the more the winnings are. So, you know, you might not see a golfer give his 110% or sometimes you just might not see him give his all. You know, definitely kind of pace yourself, especially as you get older. You know, what tournaments do you show up for? Do you show up in the big time? Are you a good pick? Because realistically, we're not, nobody's really betting on random no name tournaments, yeah. At least I would think.
3: Um, yeah, that's the, think the it's Brooks Koepka phenomenon, right? He only see? shows up for majors.
4: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no. I was interested in uh, kind of like what you thought about that. Thinking, you know, because at first it really doesn't seem like it would make sense.
3: No, I think it correlates directly. Really, I mean, if you're you're earning money and you're doing well. You know, and and that could be a driving factor for some of these guys. You know, especially the guys that maybe are 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 right on the cut line always. Um, you know, some of these guys gotta make sure they retain their PGA card for the next year, and that's a money-based system.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think another th- interesting thing um, to look at would be like if you could somehow model this, like a of the pers of the portion of the people percent of people who. Make the cut in all the different majors and uh, stuff like that. Um, and what percent of those have like the highest move-up rating? And if they make the cut, like which player plays better if they make the cut?
4: I see. Oh, what you're saying. I, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah,
1: does yep. that make sense? I would love to
3: see anything uh, yeah. you could create on that.
1: That'd be super that value.
4: That's Very interesting.
1: Yeah. I think that,
5: that would be good how,
3: for, how many how many guys like are relieved variable. and Yeah, exactly. How many guys are relieved and feel comfortable and they they got over the humps so and now it's just play some golf and have some fun?
4: That'd yeah. be good for live that'd be good for live bets.
1: Yeah. That would be really that's
3: good. Well and then and then actually that's that's a, a single day um you know, you could do single days in DraftKings and, and I actually personally found more success doing single days after you've seen seen them play a day or two. Yeah, and you mm. got to get a you can get a feel of who who's actually doing well versus who got lucky. Yep, you know someone might be in in thirtieth place, but because they had one bad hole from one mistake that no one took into consideration, right? You know, yeah. otherwise they're playing well overall.
5: Yep, yeah. yeah.
3: No, I love that one. I think that would be great uh, a great stat to find out who does best after making cuts. Yeah, um, you know, and who who tanks yeah I'm, I'm sure like we talked about earlier i'm I'm sure Dean now's day four numbers are pretty horrendous
2: yeah they they mm-hmm. gotta be
3: well, maybe we'll find the the key to help him on Sunday, and we'll get the message to him on how to fix it,
2: yeah, <laughs> Connor, just to go back one sec, just to your point about um the winnings and how that affects I think might not apply to. All majors, especially the masters, just because that green jacket is priceless. You know, that's true. Great. Yeah, they go out there, Augusta, right. everything's out the window.
4: Yeah, that's, yeah. There's that. There's that. Um, those intangibles that aren't really recorded. That's true. Yeah, yeah, but, I I agree. No one's thinking about their
3: paycheck at Augusta.
1: Yeah, yeah. When when you do the, that, uh, you could do the that variable for Augusta and majors in general to see if there's any disparity Um, Mm. and then for the masters in particular, I think at Augusta, I think it would be interesting, not only to know like the number of places they jumped up after the um, after day two, but like, or yeah, after the cut, but like how much they accelerate, like what percentage increase. So like,
4: Oh yeah, that's true.
1: To like to to try to get a gauge on like which player like really has the ability to put the throttle on it, um, yeah, and, and get up. Um, so that that'd be interesting to look at as well. Because if if there's like some player that you know is iffy on making the cut, and then he ends up making the cut, but has like a plus eight hundred percent finish thing, it wouldn't be a bad idea to put a top ten finish on him yeah. on mm-hmm. the second day of the Masters.
3: I wonder, I wonder if there's a, a ratio of pimento cheese sandwiches eaten to how many birdies you get.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do we have any uh, closing thoughts?
3: Personally, I think uh, I'm, I'm going to go with my overall pick for the win, and I'm yeah, going to go yeah. back to Mr. John Rahm.
2: Definitely uh, already started out the magic. I don't know if you saw him. Uh, that skip shot, I think it was on 16, the practice round. So <laughs> we'll see. He's definitely been he, playing uh, pretty well.
3: Yeah, well, and the funny thing is, the day before the skip shot, he had a natural hole in one, too.
2: Really? So He's
3: got two aces in practice rounds at Augusta right now.
4: He's got a lot of momentum. And, yeah. oh, actually, my closing statement will be about how does anybody know how many aces there have been at Augusta? Overall? Yeah.
1: It's I, a, even guess. I think it's a it's pretty 30, big number. Yeah.
4: It's, Thirty-one. Thirty-one. It's only been thirty-one. Interesting. But but, but more than fifty percent of those have been since two thousand three, two thousand three, and there's been seven since two thousand
5: sixteen. Wow. And how many of them were on
4: the sixteenth hole? A large percentage of them. <laughs> I was <gonna>
5: Ooh. Say.
3: <laughs> that pin placement just it they they put it there on purpose on day four for for hole in ones, and I love it.
5: Yeah. I and mean,
3: it's a, it's, a, it's a shot where if you hit anywhere in the center of the back of that green, it should funnel towards the cup.
5: Yeah. Mm.
4: So, so they have a prop that if there's an ace and that's uh minus 200 no ace and that's uh 150. So, that's a good one to look at. Yeah. They got minus 200 on an ace happening. Yep. What?
3: Yeah, so they they think Vegas thinks it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah.
4: It's wild. That's yeah,
0: that's absurd.
3: Actually, I had, a, I had another closing thought, um, and it's a plug, and I mentioned them earlier, but uh, um, you know, my my uh, my luck uh, is all going towards Victor Perez. Yeah, he's, uh,
5: oh, yeah. he's a
3: Frenchman. Yeah, he's he's um, I think he's sixth on the race to Dubai right now, so he's he's looking good on the Euro Tour. Mm. Um, and he, uh, I actually caddied for him in the U.S. Open sectional a couple of years ago, and uh, for a Canadian two school uh, weekend event. I caddied for him for that, too. So, uh, fingers crossed for him. I'm, I'm just praying he makes a cut so that he can, uh, you know, give it a day four, three and day four push.
1: Yeah. I caddied for Perez, too, during the Western Am in, like, twenty six. That's awesome. Yeah, for, on, like, yeah. the one-day tournament. Well,
3: and yeah. you and I got to hope he wins. Because then yeah. we could say we caddied for uh, a Masters champ. <laughs>
1: yeah. He was uh, – he was very particular about the yardages that he wanted them all in kilometers. <laughs> so I had to do yeah. that math in my head. Well, it was like a, it was like a Miles. mile for a couple of holes, but yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, no, it was I, I had
3: the same struggle with them. I my, my yardage book was full of meters and kilometer yeah. ratios and, yeah. and I still
1: struggled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was pretty. Um, okay, cool. Um, so with my pick, um, final pick, I think I got to go with uh John Rom. Um, I just think he's a really solid pick to, it, it, you know, at least do top three. Um, mm. it, you know, if my top, like I said, my top three is probably going to be John Rom. Uh, I'll throw Perez in there. I, I do like Perez. <laughs> and then yeah, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> I'm going to do Shoffley too because he, he was tied for second in 2019. Um, and I like the style of his play, and I think it could bode well for him in these conditions.
4: I think, uh, I think my pick is gonna be, Pepeka, and um, I'm rooting for um, Fowler personally. I was a, uh, I got to be a standard bearer when he won TPC Boston, so I was on the green when he won, so that was pretty cool. So I'm biased towards him.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna pick Rory. Um, he's fourteen to one. Um, I just think you know, wet surfaces are going to be wanting to uh, take it long off the tee. He's always been doing that. Yeah. Um. And then, like I said earlier, I am going to be uh, keeping an eye on Matthew Wolf. We saw him uh, be competitive there in the U.S. Open, and I think he's going to break through eventually. Tom,
0: uh, I am still going to stand by uh, Kapka. Um, I've been doing some more research into DJ, and I think he's my close second. And then for third, like I could go with the DeChambeau pick. But, you know, I kind of I'm kind of sold that he's either going to kill it or he's just not going to make the cut. Yeah. And, you know, if he kills it, he kills it. You know, it's congratulations. He's redefining the sport. But I don't know. I think he's going to I think he could struggle.
1: Well, we'll know soon enough. I mean, Matthew Wolf on the PGA Tour statistics website, he's tied for third uh, for top 10 finishes. and. Uh, so is Xander Shoffley as well. Yeah, just some more people to keep an eye on.
2: Well, from everyone here at the studio, thanks for joining us and uh, enjoy a November Masters. It might never happen again. Thanks. Georgia.
1: Georgia. The whole day- Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on